Well, in a way, uh, our whole lives are ones of uh, discipleship, uh, but you know we've had a sort of a series on it, and you could probably argue that everything that's preached before and everything that will be preached after is discipleship, because really our whole life and, uh, are about follow, following Jesus. But um, we're coming to the end of that theme, um, and we've had this theme of discipleship. After the summer great break, we've got a new series, uh, which will start, which run, will run for quite a while, uh, called, Cult- it's an umbrella title over, over uh, overarching all of them, Cultivating a Spirit-Filled Life. Because it's important to recognise that when we go through and teach about discipleship, there's a lot of ought-to and should-dos and everything else, but really we need the help of the Spirit to change our hearts. Uh, rather than a rule book, it's a way of life. And uh, God promises to uh, give us a new heart, uh, to remove the heart of stone, and to give us a new heart, uh, which is want to please him and follow him. So the, the title of the sermon's a bit catchy, I suppose, Are You Walking the Talk? Because we've talked about a lot, uh, but we've got to walk in those promises. And as we take God's word seriously, uh, then we, we ought to obey it and walk alongside it. And as, as, uh, as the Bible says, keeping in step with the Spirit, being challenged uh, by the Spirit of God. And of course, there's challenges uh, uh, coming. It's talking about a life of discipleship. And more and more, increasingly, uh, we want to try and get the Holy Spirit to apply that uh, to our hearts so we can really uh, live that out. Not the rules and regulations, but a heartfelt response uh, to the Word of God and Jesus' saving power and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to enable us to live lives worthy of the calling uh, that we've received. So today, really, is a bit of a roundup of some things you've heard before, because it's bringing it all together to try and encourage you as you go into the summer. Um, and as we start, we've got communion next week, but then we, we've got a series in, uh, in August uh, looking at uh, characters in the Bible. And this year, they're all women, because last year we had all men, so uh, we thought we'd do something uh, slightly different. Uh, so we've got all women into it during August. And then after that, we're going to start this new uh, series. So I want to round up what's been preached over the, over the past. We've talked about Jesus is our master. We are the apprentices. It's not the other way around, as much as sometimes we like to think we can tell him uh, the best way forward. We're the ones to be sent out as ambassadors for him. As Christians, we're called Christians. It was first given as a slur. Um, his, and uh, now we wear it with a kind of a godly pride, I guess. But, but if, we're, if we're bearing his name, uh, that comes with an awesome responsibility to be an ambassador for him. And remember that we said uh, quite a few weeks back, the moment we start trying to water down his direction, maybe trying to make it suit our own lifestyles or feelings or attitudes or the way we are, uh, we're effectively saying that we know better than him. We're effectively saying, you're God, but I know a better way. I'm not going to listen to this, or I'm only going to take parts of it uh, that I want to take. And effectively, uh, we're saying we know better than him. And the moment we do that, we're on a dangerous path, uh, because he is the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, the Spirit makes this, these collection of books come alive to us, and so we have to take the word seriously. Remember Peter, you know, he's a bit of a hero in the Bible, isn't he? He tried to do that. He tried to tell God uh, what was best. Matthew 16, 21 to 23. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. So Jesus knew his mission. Remember, we looked at that. He had his mission, he had his call, he knew what he had to do. But Peter knows best. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Remember, he's rebuking God. I mean, you've got to admire his courage. Um, but he gets it wrong. 
And he says, never, Lord. You know, I'm going to ignore what you've just said because I know better. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter words that would fill me with horror and dread and, and really challenge me if he looked into my eyes and said them to me. He said, get behind me, Satan. He recognised where that came from. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And as Christians, disciples, followers, apprentices of Jesus, we have to have in mind the things of God and not uh, the things of man. It's easy to get distracted, uh, easy to be led along the wrong path, gradually further away from Jesus. You make those small steps and gradually you've walked away. And you close and notice it. And so it's important that every day uh, we, we reconcile, we come close to God through Christ. This picture you've seen, I wasn't sure uh, whether to put those up or not. Uh, anyone know who that is? Who's that? Jim, Jim Jones. Yeah, Jim Jones. And you may recognise the name. Uh, he was an Amer- They started well. They started well. But in the end, he was an American religious cult leader he initiated and was responsible for a mass suicide. And that's the other picture. All those people took the words of someone who'd walked away from Jesus and took his words above the Bible and they all killed themselves. He was responsible for a mass suicide and a mass murder in a place called Jonestown. He considered Jesus Christ as being in compliance with an overarching belief in socialism as the correct social order. He was ordained as a disciple of Christ's pastor and he achieved notoriety as the founder and leader of the People's Temple. He started the People's Temple in Indiana during the 1950s. He moved the temple to California in the mid-1960s and he gained notoriety with his activities in San Francisco in the early 1970s. And then they relocated because the authorities started to finally understand what was going on. And then um, human rights abuses were said to be taking place in the People's Temple in Jonestown and the United States sent a congressman, a man called Leo Ryan. He led a delegation to the commune uh, to investigate what was going on, and he was murdered by gunfire by this group. Uh, And he subsequently committed a mass murder-suicide of 918 of his followers. 304 of them were children, nearly all of them killed by cyanide poisoning by drink flavour aid. Now, I'm not saying for a second, that if you start to walk away from Jesus, you're going to do something like this. What I'm saying is they started well and increasingly ignored what the word of God said, increasingly put their faith in a religious leader, even though he led them away from the Bible and eventually had so much uh, power over them, he leads them all to a mass suicide. Small steps away from Jesus. Every day we have to be back and say, I'm a disciple of Christ. I will not be led away because before you know it, those small steps end up being miles away. And they all would have said at the beginning, that couldn't happen to me. I'm not saying that will happen to you. But we may not commit suicide, but we can commit spiritual suicide. If we keep walking away from Jesus, uh, then we're just as lost as we were before. So don't get distracted. The Bible says to throw off um, everything that hinders and sin that entangles. Run with perseverance the race that's set before you. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. Jesus said in Luke 9.23, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow follow me. There's a challenge there because he says if. You know, we can make those small steps away from Christ if anyone would come after me. And I wonder if you're sitting there this morning thinking, well, have I done that? Have I really done that? 
Maybe it's the first time you've heard it, that you, Jesus says, come and follow me. Many people in the world are saying, follow them, and the world's in a mess. He says, come and follow me. He points to himself. Why can he point to himself? Because he is and, and was God. He is God. And he, he came on earth for a period of time, and he showed us how to live, and he taught, and we've got the words as recorded in, in Scripture. And then he ascends, he doesn't leave us on our own, he said, I'm going to send you another like me, the paraclete, the counsellor, one who comes alongside the Spirit of God, who promises to live in the heart of every believer if you ask him in. And if you don't, and he says there, if anyone would come after me, then of course he doesn't come in. But if you ask him to, he will. But then he says there's a life of denial. You're saying no to the world and yes to him, of sacrifice and to say, uh, to follow him. And so we've talked a lot about that, and we've got to ask ourselves the questions this morning. Am I walking that walk? Because half the time we know what the Bible says, and a lot of the time we'll go along with it. But then when we get to those really tough ones, uh, we can put them to one side and maybe be like Peter and say, surely not, Lord. Surely not, I don't have to do that bit. I really believe that there's a strong conviction that Christ is calling to himself in this day and age and has done for thousands of him, those that are willing to dedicate their lives fully to him, to commit themselves to both him and other Christians within the fellowship of the church out of love for him and love for them, to present their bodies to him as a living sacrifice for all that he wants to do in the world today. And as much that he wants to do, of course, one day he's going to bring the curtain down and all things will be made new and there'll be no more tears, pain or suffering. There'll be a new heavens and new earth. But at the moment, there's so many that are lost, so many that don't know him. And it's his church's mission to go and seek and save the lost because that's why he said he came, to seek and save the lost. He said, I didn't come to condemn the world, I came to save it. Because he knows that we stand condemned. He knows that we're, or the Bible says, Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Not to condemn us. He's just saying, look, you're all in a bad place, but I will pay the price for you. And then when he does that, we live our lives of an apprentice, of a disciple, as a follower of him. Mark 8.34-38. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Jesus calling people to himself today, this morning, calling you to himself, and we need to respond daily and not take those small steps away from him, but keep taking those small steps towards him. And sometimes that means leaving things behind, rethinking our ambitions, our attitudes, our thoughts, our values as we seek to follow Christ. Not saying along with Peter, surely not that part, Lord, and not wanting to hear the words that he responds with. We're called to follow. That's the first, uh, sorry, that's the call to discipleship. We're also called to follow. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. They must deny themselves. If you want to follow him, you must take up your cross and follow him. The disciples of a Jewish rabbi in those times would submit themselves to their master until a time would come when they were thought good enough to leave their school and, and become masters or rabbis themselves. Jesus calls his disciples to wholehearted obedience for life. We're always going to be learning from him. In effect, we're never really going to graduate this side of heaven. And we're always learning. 
And we can always choose to take those small steps towards him or those small steps away. We're continually trained uh, by him. And he calls us. He calls us towards himself to follow him. He calls us to serve, to know him, to love him, believe in him and be committed to him. He's been revealed to us in the Bible. He's revealed to us by his spirit. He's alive and you can encounter him this very morning through his word, his presence, his spirit. So we're called to discipleship. He calls us to follow him, not follow the world necessarily, to follow him. He is the truth, not to follow a religious leader even, to follow him. We're also called into God's family. That's the third heading up there, Ephesians 2, 19 to 22. And remember, this is a bit of a summing up of stuff you've heard before. I'm just trying to bring it all together and encourage you over the summer. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. In my experience, those who walk away from church saying, I don't need church and I can be a Christian on my own, um, it generally doesn't work. Uh, I've seen Christian leaders do it. I've studied with people who've done it. I've trained with people who've done it. And their lives have fallen into disarray. Uh, and more, the most important thing, maybe they can do it. Maybe they're a lot better than me. I don't think I could. I love the fellowship of the church. I know we're a group of imperfect people. And uh, as I've said to you before, an alpha, when someone says, I'm not going to join the church, it's full of hypocrites, I always say, don't worry, we've got loads of room, we can bring one more in, and you're welcome. And so we know that we're not perfect. We know that we're all a work in progress. We know we're being sanctified. We're becoming more like Jesus. We know that. But even if we disagreed with the whole church thing, the word of God says that we're being built into a household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. He holds it all together. In him, the whole building, as we come together, is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. The temple was the Old Testament theology. That's the only place where God was. Now God is ever. He's among his people. When the the disciples asked Jesus, where is the kingdom of God? He says, the kingdom of God is within you. And when we come together, there's power. And But even if I disagree with all of that, the bottom line is, I don't want to be like Peter and say, no, you're okay, God. Even though your word says it, I know best. I know best. I don't need the church. I don't need the fellowship. But as we're committed to one another, with all our faults and fallacies, but also lots of good things as well. I said last week, we've had a, a bit of a year this year, and for, for we've been on the receiving end of the love of the church and the service of the church. We've been very grateful. And it's wonderful to be part of that and not be alone. And of course, when you're on your own, you see any David Attenborough film, um, the lions always go after the one uh, that's isolated from the group. When you're alone as a Christian, uh, then you're isolated and you're vulnerable. And the bottom line is the Bible calls us to come together, to worship together, to pray for one another, bear with one another, forgive one another, uh, learn from one another, be rebuked by one another. We're called. We're called as individuals, but we're not called in isolation, but to join the family, the community of God's people. We called the 12, Jesus did, to share their lives with him and each other. And that's where we get strength and encouragement from each other. The importance of community. There's a real theological doctrine in this. The Trinity, perfect relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Showing us what it is to be a perfect relationship. We can't really mirror that. But God is a God of relationship, not a God of isolation. 
It's important, the community. In verse 20 of that passage, Christ and his word at the centre, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. It gives us purpose. Verses 21 and 22, we're joined together. The people becoming a holy temple, being built together, becoming a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. I mean, I love my own personal devotion time. I might play a CD or some music or go on YouTube or whatever it is. I'll read my Bible devotionally, and it's important that you do that, and God will speak to you through it. But there is something about when a community of believers get together and worship God. And any worship leader will tell you up here, they will feel that. It's it's more than singing. There's a power. You can feel it. And God ministers to us in that. So it's important that we're part of the church family. That's something else we're called to. Uh, Important that we're part of uh, God's healthy community. Uh, Colossians 3, verse 12 to 17. You'll remember I preached on this, my first sermon uh, back here. Uh, Therefore... Therefore, as God's chosen people, you've been chosen, that's an amazing privilege. God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. What, I mean, what a wonderful passage of a, uh, of, of, and words of what the community of God should look like and should be. He's just reminded them they're in Christ, so they should set their hearts on the things above. He's talking about the church of a community of God's people, the family. He's saying, don't concern yourselves just before that with the negatives, the bad, the things to get rid of, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, anger, rage, malice, slander, bad language, lying. But instead he says, set, set, set your hearts on things above. Because verse 9, you have taken off your old self with his practices and have put on your new self, which is being renewed. You are being renewed. This is why we're the work in progress. Uh, as a character becoming more like Jesus, who leads by example. I've got a car, I would imagine most of you have as well. And my car at the moment is quite dirty. And it needs a clean. And uh, every now and again... I drag myself down to Stockbrook Manor because they do it for £7. And it's quite cheap. It's a good deal. Now, of course, while you're at Stockbrook Manor and there's a golf course there, you really ought to be doing other things uh, while you're there. So they say to me, how long have we got the car for? I say, about five hours. And make sure you do a good job. And I always say, you know, can you blacken the wheels? You know how to get the spray? Because you can always tell, you know, you blacken the wheels. And the thing comes up like brand new. And you get in the car and it just feels so much better. It's the same car. But it got dirty and it got filthy. And actually, at the moment, if you see it in the car park, it needs to get down to Stockbrook Manor. Um, but, but we could be like, the more we step away from Jesus, we become more not like him. The more we step towards him, the more we become like him. And the Bible says here we are being renewed and our characters become more like him. And it's to that that Paul says, therefore. He says, you're chosen, you're holy, you're dearly loved. Jesus said in Matthew 5.14, you are the light of the world, let your light shine. So people can see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. And so we need to be that salt and light, being changed, being renewed, and letting the world see the change in the things we do, the things we say, the people we are. We can't do this on our own. 
And it's why we need the Holy Spirit to live deep within us in our hearts. It's why we have to say every morning, verse 12, I'm going to clothe myself with the Spirit of Christ burning deeply within me, and I'm going to let the world see that. Verse 12, he says, uh, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, all good things. It says to bear with one another in verse 13. So many times, you know, recently I heard of an example um, somewhere else. I talked to another minister. He said, I've got this couple. Uh, they've been Christians for years. I mean, you know, 30, 40 years. And he said, neither of them are coming to church in case the other one comes. So I said to him, why? why, why? He said, they've had some sort of falling out. Neither of them will speak to me about it. But neither of them are coming to, to the corporate, the coming together of worshipping God, because they've had a little bit of a falling out. So two people are not coming to church to hear from the Bible that tells them to forgive one another, forgive whatever grievance you've got against one another, let the peace of Christ dwell richly in your hearts. They're ignoring all that. They're, they're going with Peter. They, I know better than you. I know better than you. And of course they're not coming. And now uh, they could get picked off quite easily. He's, he's racking his brains out how to get them together. But I said to him, why is it? Why is it that, and they're people that really know the word of God. I mean, he said, that, you know, they'll pull me up on the door if I've said something slightly wrong. I said, so they know it. They just choose not to go with it. They know better than God. And so, of course, the thing's escalating, and what's probably something really minor is something really big. So bear with one another. Forgive. Verse 14, all of these are surrounded by love. Put and love. It binds them all together. A church, I think, should always be... I'd love it if, if the description of any church is they're a really loving church because God is love and we're supposed to show his character as ambassadors. Verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Being thankful. We're known across the globe as a nation of moaners, but as Christians, uh, being thankful. And then the Bible, let the, verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. You know, when it's increasingly ignored, let it dwell in us richly. Let us obey it. Let's live this life because we know it's a way of life. It's not the rule book. The Spirit of God opens it up to us and, and we can live this life that Jesus calls us to. And then the summing up in that passage in Colossians, verse 17, whatever you do, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You know, in all we do, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. And I have to look at myself, and I preach to myself every, uh, every time I write a sermon, as everything I've done, as, if it's been in the name of Christ, has it honoured Christ? And unfortunately, sometimes I have to say no, and I come to God for forgiveness. But I'd like to think more often than not, it's a yes, and we want more of that. And then we're sent out as ambassadors. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And we're sent out as ambassadors for Christ. That is a unique privilege to go and change the world like he's doing. So Jesus says, if you would come after me, if. So you have a choice, you don't have to. You can ignore the Bible, you can turn away from the passages that are a bit challenging. You can be like Peter, surely not, rebuking God. And that puts the fear of God into me. I don't want to rebuke God. How dare I rebuke God? Or am I going to take his word seriously? And as best I can, with the Spirit's help, live that life out in obedience. If I do, it means denying myself. He says, pick up your cross daily. Not weekly or yearly or, you know, I haven't prayed for a few days. Daily, I have to go to him and, and say, I choose your way. And I have to say then that I follow Jesus. He said, if anyone hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, it's like a wise man who built his home on a rock. It means all my decisions have to be built on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets, of the words of Christ, the words of God's word. Otherwise, as I walk away, I'm going to commit spiritual suicide. 
Because each step that I walk away, I'm going to be, before I know it, I'm very far away. Very far away. And for this church, and, and for the church generally, I'd love this. But for us here, you know, if we can see and get capture a vision. Remember when I came, we said, people love visions. And let's have a vision of character for once. Let's have a vision of who the, the people we want to be, to be more like Christ. Because then all other things will fall into place. We'll be the most attractive people there are. We'll have to grow. It will just happen because God will draw people towards us, which we're seeing. But if we can have this place, this church, as a place of challenge, of love, of comfort and of growth, a place where encouragement is the norm, because the Bible says to encourage one another daily, a place of compassion and kindness when there's so much hurt and discord uh, outside the doors, a place where people will achieve great things for God because they've got confidence in God. But when they do that, they'll have humility. A place where wisdom is obvious, forgiveness is everywhere. A place where even people or things, when they don't live up to expectations, we bear with one another like the Bible tells us to. A place where we'll have a real heart for the lost. A real heart that it's great that we're in here, but there's so many more out there. A place where we're passionate about mission and ministry, which means we've got to pick up our cross daily because actually that takes some sacrifice as well. A place where we're excited about Jesus, who says he's the author and perfecter of our faith, excited about his message of good news, passionate about his people and those that don't know him, ferocious in our evangelism because the lost count, and that was his mission, was to come and seek and save them. And we'll do all of this because those, all those characteristics, the motive is love. A place where the peace of Christ rules and where we'll be thankful for all that God does among us. A place where we'll pray continually in all circumstances because we trust God at his word. A place where we'll let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. And a place that we can say honestly that whatever we do, we do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then, then you'll see the end result. Then we'll have a full building and have a problem what to do. Then we'll grow numerically and spiritually. And as we pray and seek renewal in my life, in your life, and together as a church, in our community, like Jesus intended us to, our eyes focused on the things above, not our own wants and and struggles, but fixed on Jesus, Christ in everything, filled with the Spirit of God, because without that we can't really live up to this. Seeking a blessing, And we get a blessing where brothers and sisters dwell together in unity, which means if we're not dwelling together in unity, maybe we're not going to get that blessing. A united church, even with differences, because we believe together in the work of the cross and we believe together in the the word of God. And Jesus will lead us and we'll make our stand. We sung that, stand up, stand up for Jesus. We're soldiers of the cross. And there is a battle going on. And the enemy is is, uh, evident. And yet the church of Christ stands and stands firm and faces him head on because we follow the name that's above all names, that of Jesus Christ. He will lead us, but he says, if you'll follow, if you would come after me, you can make a choice not to. You can keep making those choices to walk further away and you're committing spiritual suicide or we can come close to him. All of the glory, all of the honour, all of the praise belongs to him, all of it. And we need to have a passionate church building his kingdom, seeking his kingdom first, not on the periphery. What would Jesus do? Growing to become more like him. That's what we need to do. And the question this morning, I'll leave you with as I finish, is if you would come after him. And I would pray that you make a decision today, and it's a daily decision, to follow him. Not any religious leader, um, not um, any 
cult leader. Um, follow him. Not the world and its ways, and you should be this, and this is politically correct, and great. I'm going to follow him. As for me and my household, we choose. We will serve the Lord. In some ways, it's easy. Just follow him. But we get it so complicated. I'm going to just put a last slide up there and ask John just to come up as the band get ready uh, to sing our final song, Come Set Your Rule and Reign. Which really, if you could make a prayer for this church, would be great. Um, Build your kingdom here. Seeking the kingdom first. But I'm just going to put uh, a slide up. And I just want you to reflect on that. I'm going to pray for us, and John will play in the background. Um, Sometimes it's pretty simple. Jesus just says, come and follow me. Come and follow me. So, Father, I pray now that your Holy Spirit, as we just have a a minute or two of reflection on what's been said, uh, the things we've seen, the things we've heard, I pray, Lord, that you'll show us areas in our lives where we need you, Holy Spirit, to come and minister to us. I pray you'll show us our hearts, sometimes our rebellious ways. I pray that also you'll encourage us where we are moving in the right direction. I pray, Lord, that rather than that spiritual suicide, we'll, we'll realise that life is found in you. Life in abundance is found in you. You said, I've come, they, that they can have life and life in all its fullness. It can only be found in you. So I want to pray for me, Lord, and for anyone else here now who wants to say, I, I choose, I choose to follow you. As we end this series on discipleship, I choose to say yes to you, Jesus, and I will follow your ways. I will follow your decrees. And to do that, I need your spirit in my heart. So come, Holy Spirit, and minister towards us. We sing our next song in a minute or two. I pray, Lord, that will be our prayer for your church here. In Jesus' name, amen.